Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is always a pleasure to come your way, bringing you these programs uh, where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And I'll tell you the whens and the where's and the why for's and all of that stuff that I normally take about a minute and a half to two minutes to tell you, but uh, I'll uh, be spreading that, sprinkling that throughout the program, because I want to jump right into our program with our very special guest. Uh, she's a keynote speaker, a transformation coach, filmmaker. Uh, she's made a film called When Sparks Ignite, as well as a book, and The Sparks Series. She's the host of, a Spar of The Sparks with Stephanie James. Stephanie, welcome to our program. I'm sure glad to have you with us. Thank you, Richard. So great to be here with you. We had a very interesting conversation uh, a few weeks back when we were setting this interview up, and uh, I was just jazzed about about having this opportunity. And it, it tends to fall, uh, I should, I have to say, uh, at a at a really an opportune time, at least in my life, uh, because um, part of this has to do with uh, how we relate to one another, how we relate to family, friends, relatives, uh, acquaintances, on the job, on the street, uh, and so forth and so on. And you've made this this wonderful film uh, that I find, I and I did, I, I, you know, I have tried to sit down and, 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 and ignore everything else and, and watch the whole thing. And it's like, okay, five minutes here and five minutes there. I'm not finished with it yet, but I get the point. Uh, so now it's important for you to share with us what is the point of this movie, uh, which uh, I am guessing is, of course, uh, having to do with this whole aspect of when sparks ignite in the Sparks series. Yeah, thank you, Richard. You know, I I'm often asked, what is the spark? And for me, that really is that's our essence. That's the part of us that water cannot wet or drench or put out. It's that spark that's the light inside of us that is the essence we share with the world. And so what this film is about is the difficulties and challenges we face that can then become the match point that ignite that spark within us that becomes our gift to the world. And so there's a theme throughout that film, which is your healing matters. Number one, we never know the spark that we're going to be for another person, what we might help ignite in someone else. And that when we share those gifts, we become like the pebble in the pond and the concentric circles of healing and the sparks they radiate out from us. Mm -hmm. So each one of us, you know, that that's the gift as we do our own work to heal to become the best version of ourselves, then that's the gift we give to the world. Well, I know a man uh, who um, epitomizes that, or I should say epitomized that, uh, not only in my eyes, but in the eyes of just about everybody who knew him. And that was my father, who we paid tribute to uh, Friday the 10th of March, in Phoenix, Arizona, I flew out there, and I th what I found so fascinating, I, you talk about universal synchronicity. Every single one of us siblings who spoke said basically 
the same thing that addressed my father's concern over the fact he did not feel that he had any influence or very little influence in our upbringing. When in fact every one of us, in our own words, basically said, we wouldn't be the people we are if it weren't for you. Now, because this was a memorial for him, this wasn't about ignoring my mother, because obviously we, we acknowledge her as well, but in this context. And I just found that so uh, disconcerting sometimes when I would think about it, and I would play his words back in my head, and I'm going, how is that possible that you could think that the essence that is you, the kindness, the compassion. Yes, the discipline sometimes as we were growing up. There were six <laughs> of us, Stephanie. Um, I, I don't know how a human being can, can live their entire life and feel like they didn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. Now, I am guessing that in this movie, this film that, that I saw, the documentary, that some of the people spoke about feeling that way, maybe in the past, not necessarily in the present, because they wouldn't be there if they weren't at this level of consciousness that you were looking for for this documentary. I'm That's my guess. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, there there's 12 thought leaders and change makers that are huge influences in our world that are in that film. And they share with them parts, you know, you get to be a fly on the wall as the viewer mm-hmm. and you're seeing into those parts of them that, that they are sharing from their childhood wounding or through difficult times that they faced. And, you know, Richard, one of the really cool things about this film was it was really important to me to have these people come together and not just have them present. So often we have these big names and big authors come in and they speak for 40 minutes on a stage and they're gone. And instead, what this film captures is not only the individual interviews with these people, but three days where we spent together, you know, we meditated together, we sang together, we danced together, we ate meals together, and we dove in deep. The second day, we all sat around a round table and we called it Sparks of the Round Table. Oh, I love it. Um, And, uh, or excuse me, lights of the round table. Instead of nights of the round table, it was lights of the round table. And, you know, so people were really sharing what is it that helps them get the long view? What is it that really inspired, not romantic love, but true love yeah. in their lives, you know? And, and what were some of the challenges that they've overcome? And then the last part of the film, you see this as we move from this beautiful alchemy that was created between the 12 of us to a stage presentation. I think we had about 150 people in the audience. It wasn't a large audience, but it was really beautiful to see how then other people also became ignited from that collective, just beautiful experience that we had. So, you know, and my, and my heart hurts as I hear you sharing about your father. And I, you know, I really hear you. It's, it's those things we wish we could say, having lost my own father this last December, I know there's these times we mm. wish we could go back and say, you were this amazing influence. You did 
so much for me, even the rough times, you know, there are definitely things that become ignited within us as we grow up with these beautiful people in our lives. Well, I will tell you that I, I, I don't have that feeling because I didn't wait. I told him in so many words, dad, I even wrote a song and, and I shared that at the memorial as well. And the, the, the four lines of the chorus are, Oh, daddy, I know, you know how much I love you. Oh, daddy, I know how much you care. Oh, daddy, I wouldn't be the man I am. Oh, daddy, if you hadn't been there. And I Mm. shared those words with him probably a few weeks prior to his uh, falling ill and succumbing to the Parkinson's and so forth. And uh, I made sure I was not going to be one of those, oh, God, I wish I had said, I wish I had said, uh-uh, no, I'm not going to do that. My mother tells me that my wife and I were the last two people to talk to him before he lost consciousness Tuesday night, Mm. passing away. Now, he waited until March 1st of 2023. Now, it's interesting because his eldest daughter, my eldest sister, passed away a year ago at the end of March. Mm. But you want to talk about the synchronicity? 3-1, March First, three one. He was born in nineteen thirty one. On the thirteenth, that was of August. That's an eight, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm always looking for patterns. That's just my way. And it was like, oh, April must be, or March must be some kind of uh, portal month for the two of them. Anyway, uh, yeah, I and and I I have to say, and I'm I'm I'll say this to. You, to you as well as to everybody else. Don't wait. Please don't <laughs> wait. Don't be one of those, ah, oh, yeah, I wish I had said, yeah, yeah, I can talk to my dad now. And I do. Uh, you know, there. <laughs> I was struggling through something uh, somewhere uh, after his passing, the second or third or fourth day of the month. And I'm just going, Dad, what the heck am I supposed to do? I, I don't understand, you know. And yet I've been dealing with all of the different things that I was dealing with then. But it was like I turned to him and I I just spoke to him. And, of course, what came was sort of a calming uh, and so forth. Tell me about how you chose these 12. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to the lights of the roundtable. Um, how did you choose these apostles, both male and female, Mm. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, both male and female. Absolutely. And you know, what's, what's interesting is the whole idea for this film, Richard came, um, absolutely. I, it was to me a divine download. I was just getting done with a meditation one evening and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I have my radio show and podcast igniting the spark. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'd had all these people as guests at one time or another. And I thought, I know some of the most brilliant minds and serving hearts on the planet. And it was just all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, what if we did this event that's very different Mm -hmm. than other events? And I was so excited and I was very good friends with Jacob Lieberman, who's one of the beautiful speakers in this film. And I said, you know, I'm headed down to, to Santa Fe. And he said, oh my gosh. You've got to get a hold of Larry Dossie. And I don't know, Richard, if you know Larry Dossie, absolutely phenomenal. He's an integrative medicine specialist. Mm. He's 
He has been one of these people who I'd had him on my show for his book, One Mind. He is one of the brilliant, brilliant men bringing a higher level of consciousness and mm. has been, gosh, probably the last 40 years and 40, 50 years. And so um, he, Jacob had me get a hold of both of these couples. He said, get a hold of Larry Dossie and his wife. And then get a hold of George and Sedina Capanelli, who are television and film producers. And they all happen to live in Santa Fe. I had no idea that they were. Everyone said yes. And here's the big thing. Everyone believed in this project, Richard. And these are people that get paid tens of thousands of dollars to speak. And they all came for free. They all came without cost. They all came because they believed in this project. Yeah. That's so it was, you know, yeah. so it all of it was serendipitous. People came from all over the country, from Maui, from Texas. Um, again, several people from Santa Fe and Seattle. We had um, Stephanie Schwartz, who is a research scientist who literally is who's who in the world, who um, had his show with Leonard Nimoy on his submarine Deep Quest. And deep, deep people in consciousness. I mean, these people who really have spent their life um, in the consciousness movement and opening those doors for people, for thousands and thousands of people. Mm. So it was really just this beautiful gathering of what Steve Behrman would call cohorts. And Steve Behrman being one of the people on there that um, wrote the book Spontaneous Evolution with Bruce Lipton. And so Steve and his wife came, um, George and Sedina, uh, Jacob, Barb and Larry Dossie, Gabriella and Solomon Masala and Misa Hopkins. So and Stephanie Schwartz. So it was just a beautiful. Yeah, this beautiful circle of people whose hearts are really there, like making substantial change in the world. And of course, in order to make a substantial change in the world, uh, they have had to make substantial change in themselves because that's where it starts. Um, I remember as a kid growing up, you know, and, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? You know, and of course they say, and don't say that you want to change the world because it's that's too big. It's too big a thing. And I understood what they meant by that. Okay, it wasn't that they didn't want us to dream big. It was just... You know, take bite size little elements. Well, I'm 62. I'll be 63 in June. I want to change the world <laughs> for the better for everybody, mm-hmm. not just a select few. Mm-hmm. And uh, currently, uh, I refer to them as the powers that be. They're not interested in everybody. They're only interested in a select few. And that's something that uh, that we're going to continue talking about here as we talk with Stephanie James. And uh, the title of the movie, did I mis- uh, misquote it? It is not uh, When Sparks Ignite, is it? Uh, no, it is. It is, it okay. Is. Well, what, what, was, what was the uh, element about Your Healing Matters? Your Healing Matters is the tagline for that movie. Ah, all right. Well, we're going to talk about that as well as we continue here Guess where, folks? On Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is just fantastic to have uh, Stephanie James. Uh, uh, you were the you are the producer, director. Yep. I am the producer and the writer and You're the right. visionary for the film. Okay, I co-produced it with Doug Beechwood. 
Now, I'm curious because it is better to have more material than not. Uh, I know this in terms of uh, um, interviews. Now, I personally, I don't have a bunch of stuff in front of me, okay? I don't have a bunch of papers. I know a lot of people, that's their style, and they will prepare for weeks for a particular interview so that they've got all this information and they may get in two or three or four questions. Uh, I learned early on that doesn't work for me. But, because um, the universe asks the questions, I'm just along for the ride. But you talked about, uh, you know, you talk about this, this process of filmmaking. And I haven't made any, I mean, my videos of my program, Tell Me Your Story, that's, that's the video editing that I do. But I take the whole thing, I do my interviews as if they're live. Which means, I can't go back and edit, so I don't. Unless there's something that I really need to, like a, a glitch. Oh, hey, I'm sorry, we have to pause right now, and, and so forth. And then I'll take that out and what have you. But I don't edit the content. When you're editing, I, how many hours of material did you have? How long is the film now, and how many hours did you have to go through to get it down to what you have it yeah. now? Yeah, great question. Um because the film is 85 minutes long and we had three full days of video. Plus we had um, B-roll, which for people that don't know B-roll, it's when the film crew came back a couple different days and we just filmed shots in nature, beautiful things around mm. Fort Collins, Colorado here where I live. And those are pictures that you'll see, you know, you, you fill those oh. in. Gorgeous. As you go. Just gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. And so, you know, I mean, and I have to tell you, Richard, too, I mean, you're, you're talking about the universe and boy, was the universe had a heavy hand in all of this. Oh, Not only yeah. was it the inspiration, I had never done a documentary either. And so when I was called to do this documentary, I think it's important to state I had 67 cents in my savings account. <laughs> I, I did not have money to do this film or hire a crew. And it was like all of these people, as I said, just believed in this project. Yeah. So it was really miracle after miracle. And Doug Beachwood and I, it took about two years um, because we were in COVID time. Yeah. Um, and so we would meet several times a week, sometimes three hours at a sit and have everything on a Zoom call. We had the whole editing board up on a Zoom call mm -hmm. on the share screen. And it was like, and I, and I was just talking to my other film partner, Anna Dara, um, because we just shot uh, Becoming Fierce this summer, uh, which is my second book that's out. And we have a new series coming out, Becoming Fierce. But she and I were just kind of laughing about this today because it's like, you have days and days and days of a transcript. And that's what happened. I mean, Doug Beachwood gave me a black box with a film and then three days of transcript. And literally, again, it was just downloaded. I don't know how to write a film. I didn't know how to put it together, yeah. but it wrote itself. Well, and really, you know, I, I feel like there's really a powerful and inspirational, hopeful message in that film. Um for everyone, because every single person is one of those essential threads. They're a golden thread in the fabric of humanity. Yeah. And so we need every person. Stephanie James is my guest. She is a keynote speaker, transformation 
coach. Well, I want to talk about that as well as a filmmaker of the a film we're talking about primarily here, but we'll talk about many other things too. When Sparks Ignite and uh, the Spark series, which uh, will continue on, I'm sure. She's the host of The Spark with Stephanie James. It's a radio show and podcast. Mind, Body, Spirit FM. That's pretty neat. Author of The Spark, Igniting Your Best Life and Becoming Fierce website. Oh, it's a tough one, folks. So you might want to write this down. It's stephaniejames.com. Oh, wait a minute. It's .world. .world, ladies and gentlemen. They opened it up big time from .com, .net, and so forth, and .org to uh, include all. I, I, I guess I'm going to have to move my uh, my website to uh, Richard Dugan at TMYS. That uh, would be a good one to uh, to go to. But it is stephaniejames.world, and you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And, you know, uh, Stephanie, uh, you talked about the process of creating this film and how it just kind of, it sort of built itself. The universe played a big role. And I can attest to the fact that in the majority of my projects, maybe all of them, uh, I can attest to that. I, I remember the very first radio theater that I produced at the age of 21. And I had never done it before, but the only way I was going to get through it uh, mentally was, Richard, it is just a long commercial with a middle begin, a beginning, a middle and end. And it's got some music and some sound effects and a bunch of people talking. Okay, it's just a, and we spent 18 hours, my, uh, uh, my executive producer and editor, uh, Sam Barcelona and I, in the studio uh, back in Phoenix, 18 hours in the studio. And initially I was very disappointed at the final product, not because of what it sounded like, but because it was only 33 minutes long. We'd been in the studio for 18 hours and only 33 minutes. And then I realized, oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what is the finished project, project uh, product, if you will? And I'm sure that that's probably how you feel, too. And yet, you probably have enough material left over that wasn't used to make another film. Sure. Many. Many films, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah. And, and even some short uh, short films. Short films and so forth. Um. We talked an awful lot in our conversation uh, prior about our families. Mm. And you and I, it sounds like, uh, to our listeners, it sounds an awful lot like she and I grew up in similar uh, households that were just amazing. Uh, matter of fact, uh, having listened to my brother and sisters share their recollections of uh, their experiences with my father and and his uh, his prowess at carpentry, he built my brother's uh, m mine and my brother's bunk beds. He built these incredible two tables that we would clamp together for dining uh, for dinner for dinners, where we would all sit around the table, and we would have dinner every night together. Uh, we went on vacations together. We would carol at Christmas time around the neighborhood. Um, you know, when we were there and are still there for each other um, and so on and so forth. And our talents, I, it's amazing the talents that have been coming out of uh, my siblings. Uh, it's just, it, you know, it's just incredible. Tell me a little bit about your family, your background, uh, do we do we put it under the category of uh, Norman Rockwell-ish? 
<laughs> well, you know, and I don't know if you remember from our conversation, I think it was like that for 13 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I and I share this in my book, Becoming Fierce. And I, I think it's really important to share with the audience because none of us get through life unscathed. True. And, you know, I, I did have one of those golden childhoods where we had Sunday dinner at my grandmother's house every Sunday. Um, really close. Tons of cousins, aunts and uncles. A lot of people live close in town. So I had this really beautiful childhood where my family, my parents were very involved. You know, I did all the sports, all the dance, all the, <laughs> you know, played three different instruments. I felt like I was always up on stage and I always had my parents there watching. And, you know, I really was a daddy's girl. I was one of these little girls who I followed my dad everywhere. So if he was outside raking the yard, I'd be there with a little bag, helping him, you know, shovel in the leaves. And if he was working on his workbench, he'd have a board for me and nails so I could just hammer nails in the board just so I could sit beside him. Mm. You know, and even so much so that in the morning when he would shave, I can remember being about six years old and I would sit on this sink counter and he'd put the shaving cream on my face too. <laughs> and I'd use this little plastic toothbrush holder to shave my face. And, you know, I say this because it's important because yeah. this really golden childhood changed in a moment, um, literally in, in one evening, because, you know, my parents never fought in front of me. And so I had no idea. None of us knew anything was going on. And one night, my brother and I are, are awoken to the sound of screeching tires going out of the driveway. And my brother comes in the room and we're looking out the second story room as my father is jumping on the hood of the car as my mom's screeching out of the driveway, pounding on the windshield for her to get out. Little did we know that my dad had waited till we all went to bed to tell my mother that he was having, he did not say he was having an affair at the time. He was having an affair, but that he was in love with another woman and wanted a divorce. And, you know, my, my beautiful, sweet, golden childhood was absolutely from that moment on completely broken you know, and irreversibly damaged. And so, you know, it's, I, I go on to tell the story, Richard, that what ended up happening, you know, my mother became emotionally unstable at the time because she'd been in love with this guy for 18 years and was just devastated. And because I was such a daddy's girl, I moved out with my father and in pretty short order had a new stepmother and a whole bunch of new rules, which were that I wasn't allowed to speak to my father alone. I wasn't allowed to be with him alone. And even before he passed to that day, I was not allowed to speak to him alone on the phone. And so what that created in me, you know, was this sense of like, what is wrong with me? I, I, I was like, I, I just felt so upset. And at 16, when I chose to stay and live with my mom, while my father moved to Austin, he was so mad. You know, I wanted to stay here because I'd grown up in Fort Collins and been with my friends since four years old, preschool academy. And I was about to be a junior in high school. And so when my father decided to move to Austin and I didn't go, he didn't speak to me for a year. And what happened, Richard, then was probably the next 15 years I spent trying to find that I was lovable. I was trying to prove mm. it in every way. Mm -hmm. You know, if I could just wear the right thing or get enough good grades or have the right boyfriend or as I got older, have the right house, then I could be acceptable. Then I could somehow earn his love and feel lovable. And it wasn't until 
I was in San Francisco in my early 30s at a healing school where we were learning how to be conduits and um, you know help in healing others that the Dr. Jaffe, the gentleman who who is the head of that school, when we came in, there are about 40 of us students, and he shook my hand. And it was one of those times, Richard, where he shook my hand and I felt like he was looking into my soul. Oh, wow. And <laughs> I just kind of got uncomfortable. He was shaking it for a long time. And then he goes on. We all sit down. He goes up on stage. And about halfway into his, his talk, he looks out in the audience and he says, hey, you in the blue coat, I have a message for you. And I'm looking around at everyone else. And then I look down and I'm like, oh, crud. I'm the one in the blue coat. <laughs> and, and he said, I have a message for you. And the interesting thing is when he began to speak, I couldn't hear him. Hmm. He said, the message is, and then everything went blank. And he tried again. Same thing. I couldn't hear him. People are starting to laugh at this point. Wow. The third time he says, my dear, you have such a block to this. What I'm trying to tell you is, and when he paused, all of the air conditioning units in the place came on and nobody could hear him. So now everyone is just in hysterics laughing, like what is going on? And he finally said, come up here, come up here. And everybody kind of moved up towards the stage and I came up on the steps and he looked at me and said, my dear, what is so hard for you to hear is stop trying. Stop trying. He said, you've been trying your whole life to be perfect for your father. And now you're doing it for your husband. Stop trying. Yeah. And this is the first time he's met me. He knows nothing about my life. So it was such a powerful and transformative moment for me because I realized, oh my God, my whole last 15 years had been spent trying to earn love, trying to get something from outside of me with all these external programs for happiness. And it literally was that key point that was like, oh my gosh, I've got to start. This is an inside job. This isn't outside. I've got to start learning how to first befriend myself and like myself and then grow in a loving relationship with myself. And that's really what started this whole journey. Wow. You know, um, there is uh, some, someone told me not too long ago in reference to some of the things that I had shared with them about what was going on in my life. <clears throat> and they said, um, there's nothing more for you to do. You do not have to do any more. That's not to say that I don't have that I, I can't keep doing the things that I do, but you don't have to keep adding on to that. OK, it's not going to make any difference you doing more. OK, but there was a, a, a time many years ago when I was uh, curious about this whole aspect of perfection to be perfect. Right. What does that mean to be perfect? And of course, most of us think about it. Got to be right. Got to do things right. Got to follow the rules. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, and on, you know, especially when you're driving, you've got to make sure that you don't run a red light. You don't run a stop sign. You don't run people over. You know, you signal when you change lanes. You signal when you turn. You know, you make yourself away and on and on and the list goes on. But I worked for 15 years for a Christian radio station and that kind of came up. And I remember hearing the passage, be ye perfect. Even as your father in heaven is perfect. Now that may go on from there, but 
I thought, well, what does that mean to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect? And I kind of tied it to a couple of Old Testament passages, and I think it was from Psalms, where it says, I am that I am. And that's when it hit me. That's perfection. Just to be. To be who you are. Talk to us about this. <laughs> I, I love coming up with the phrases. Talk to me about this ecumenical conclave you held and filmed. Uh, and if that was ever discussed, I think that there was a part in there about that. Uh, but maybe it didn't make it. Uh, uh, maybe it was on the cutting room floor, uh, metaphorically speaking. In terms of the, the group's perception or individual perceptions of what that means. Yeah, I think you'll see that in the film. I definitely think you see that. I don't want to give anything away. Right. Um, and I want to say there were definitely people sharing some messages that that they received in childhood. Mm. And some of those were around not being enough or having to do things perfectly. And if I can't do it perfectly, then I'm a failure. Yeah. And how that almost turned people's careers where they were just going to quit. They were going to quit what they were doing. They were, you know... Uh, one PhD wasn't enough. They had to get two. I mean, you definitely hear some of that theme and that's what's so beautiful about this film or people are so just raw and real, you know, these very polished speakers. Um, you really get to see, like I said, you get to be a fly on the wall and see under the curtain. Um, and to hear some of these stories about how one person might've felt like they were judged by the color of their skin and what happened as a result of that, um, how that affected them and how they showed up in the world or how someone was trying to become a sculptor, um, really learning from a very famous sculptor and how to find the beauty that's in each piece by finding the beauty with what's inside of him. So mm. I, I think those are some universal messages we all struggle with. And that's why I find this is so important to share this because, you know, as I'm also a psychotherapist, you know, and I have a private practice that I've had for 17 years, over 17 years now. And I think those are some of the universal things I hear, you know, people show up and say, I don't feel good enough. You know, no matter if they're, I, I you know, I have one person back in the day who is a world-renowned brain surgeon. I have people that have worked for the attorney general's office. And then I have people that are firemen. And I have people that work for the train station. You know, I mean, I, I think I've just had such a beautiful um, slice of life walk through that door in the last 17 years. And the messages, no matter how beautiful their childhood was, somewhere we pick up this not good enough. Yeah. And so it's really helping people to find that within them that is already like when I talk about the essence, that's the part, Richard, when you talk about that's the perfection, yeah. right? That's that light within us. And mm. some people call it spirit. Some people call it God seed, you know, whatever you call it, that is the part of us that as we return there, yeah. you know, and I really feel like that's why it's an inward journey and we're no longer trying to get, our val you know, validation or our needs met externally that we can start really transforming our lives. Yeah, it's, it is to me an incredible opportunity for each of us if we will but open ourselves up to it. We're talking with Stephanie James and uh, we are talking here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host and um, 
I love what we're talking about right now in that respect to, to the, the uh, essence of who we are and to the perfection of who we are. And it's not what we do. I love what I do. I, I, I jokingly say that uh, they're going to have to pull my cold, dead carcass off the console. Because I, and I hope nobody ever has to do that, but <laughs> I, I just, I love what I do, uh, specifically this. Also, uh, this is my therapy. And I like it how my therapists come to my therapy and share <laughs> what they have to offer. Um, I have shared uh, maybe a, 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 to, to my siblings and mother's consternation, I have shared uh, maybe a little too early, my um, uh, feelings about what happened when my sister passed. It was actually one half hour after I got the call, and I had an interview scheduled. And I'm going, I'm doing the interview. You know, as they say, the show must go on. And, uh, you know, and there's nothing I can do at this moment to change any of what has happened. Uh, you know, that, and that's the other thing, too, is, is my, my wife was encouraging me, you need to fly out so you can be with your dad, you know, and so forth. And I said, my being there isn't going to change anything, plus the fact, as I said earlier, uh, and it isn't that I wouldn't have liked to, but we had already said everything that we needed to say to each other. I was fully comfortable and confident in that. And, of course, then he passes and... I tell my mother, you tell me when I need to be there, you know, and she's, well, you know, okay, it could be a few weeks, and I, that's fine. And uh, then I made the trip, I made the trip, and then I had this experience of the Planes, Trains, and Automobiles movie, where I missed my flight to Phoenix by three minutes, and I had to wait three hours for the next one, and I was put on it, and off I went. Um, and that was fine. But uh, sometimes I wonder, Stephanie, if... Our, our intellect causes us, and maybe it's more our emotions, cause us to press the issue sometimes where we think that we need to do or we think that we need to be a particular place or we need to be a particular person. I mean, you would agree that we wear masks throughout our lives. I mean, from, from morning till night, we will put on different masks. I'll put on a different mask for my wife. I'll put on a different mask for my, my employer. At least... That's the theory. I'd like to think that I don't. I'd like to think that I'm genuine to everybody that I meet, and there is no mask. But I'm not gonna. I'm not going to uh, ignore that possibility. Talk to us about uh, the discoveries that you folks made uh, around that table in terms of the way we perceive ourselves, the way others perceive us as. And this this starts to get really convoluted. It's like. Uh, the way I see me, the way you see me, the way I see you seeing me, and and it goes back and forth and gets deeper and deeper and so forth. Uh, to, can you can you share a little bit about that and and if there were any discoveries on how to wade through that and say we don't need to do that anymore? Yeah, yeah, and and I know there's. You know, there's elements of that in the film. I can speak more directly to that um, as a therapist and as someone who lives that. Um, because, you know, I've always liked the, um, I don't know if it's an analogy, but it's, you know, in, in 
Sufism, Sufis would talk about lifting the veils to discover the truth. And I really like that analogy of lifting the veils because sometimes I think it's just the veils that we have over truly seeing ourselves really clearly. And I do believe that, you know, we all get messages in childhood when you think about it, you know, the first seven years of our life, we're in theta brainwave state. So we're literally just little sponges. Mm -hmm. So if someone says to you, hey, you're not very good at math, click, you know, there's that belief, oh, I'm not very good at math. Or, you know, the art teacher says, as was my case, um, you know, trees aren't supposed to be purple. You go, oh, okay, well, gosh, I guess I do this wrong. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> yeah. We all have these little programs. Yeah. Um, and they become very unconscious and they they start being the veils or, you know, I always talk about the lens that we're looking at life through. It starts covering up that clear perception. Yeah. So I think, you know, the the thing that is essential for me is that I will, I do just like you, I, I want to be my most authentic self at yeah. all times. Yeah. I think we do have to, we're, we're in roles. I certainly don't laugh a whole bunch like I do with my fiance the whole time I'm in, you know, therapy, therapy, working on people's trauma. Right. Um, and I do try to show up not just as a clinician, but as a open hearted, real authentic person that truly cares and is there being fully present. Mm. So, you know, I, I think to me, the the way in which I have done that is what I spoke of in learning how to befriend yourself, number one, because we do have all kinds of programs that the outside world has given us. Yeah. And so for me, it's been a, about being aligned. For me, I, some people call it God, source, the universe. I call it the divine. For me, being aligned with the divine and meditation has been a huge thing for me. Where I'm not just, you know, wishing for something or praying for something. I'm listening. I'm mm -hmm. open. I'm that conduit. Yeah. And that's that's been something I've really been aware of the last 17 years is this mission of wanting to bring as much love and healing to the world as possible. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, I want to be as clear as a conduit as yeah. possible. Well, and so I do think everyone can do that. Yeah. These are all the apps that I have on my phone, which is probably how many apps I've got in my uh, <laughs> in my programming, my human programming, as you just referred to. But you also made reference to uh, the art class and it brought up uh, uh, the lyrics of a song by the late uh, uh, great storyteller Harry Chapin. And it goes, flowers are red, green leaves are green. No need to see flowers any other way than the way they always have been seen. But somehow we need to teach our children how to say, there are so many colors in the rainbow, so many colors in the morning sun, so many colors in the flowers. I can't hit the high notes. <laughs> and I see every one. And basically, it's a story mm. about this kid who goes to one school and he's just having a great time painting and whatever the colors he chooses to use. But the teacher, she's the one saying, no, 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 no. Flowers are red and green leaves are green. And this goes on and on. And he gets put in the corner because he's being sassy. And uh, then um, he finally moves to another school and the, and the teacher is smiling there. And she says, painting should be fun. But he's painting neat rows of red and green. And she then has that line. There are so many colors. We get these programs and we don't know how to overwrite them or delete them or put them in their proper perspective. 
Is that a better way to put it? Putting them in their proper perspective? Because we can't really, I mean, really get rid of them. It's not like I'm going to F-disk this hard drive in my computer. And supposedly it's supposed <laughs> to wipe everything clean. Doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I hear what you're saying. You know, I, I believe that the first thing, honestly, Richard, is we have to know what programs we're running. You yeah. know, first of all, a lot of the stuff is unconscious. So if, you know, you're not feeling the way you want to be feeling right now, if you feel like, you know, you're not, you don't have that deep sense of well-being, you know, you're not as happy as that you wish you were, had joy or peace, then it's like, okay, what internal programs are running? And so if we can define first what our limiting beliefs are, then we can do something about them. Um, we can start putting them to the test. Mm -hmm. um, his name, it's, let's, let me see if I can do it. It is, oh my gosh, I'm spacing on his name, which I can't believe. Oh, David Burns, not the singer of the Talking Heads, but mm -hmm. David Burns, <laughs> the psychiatrist from Stanford, um, who I've had on my show like three times. He was one of my idols through grad school. Mm. And, you know, he, he speaks about that. He says, you know, we got to put the lie to the test. First of all, looking at the evidence that proves that it's true. Because a lot of times if we do something, let's, let's say that we're minimizing ourselves, or we're, my favorite one is when people are mind reading and they think they know what someone else thinks. Like you were saying, like what that person thinks about me. Yeah. Well, you know, I always encourage people, you know, look for the evidence that makes that true. So, mm -hmm. I mean, did you suddenly develop a psychic ability? Are you getting a check from the Psychic Friends Network? <laughs> you know, probably not. So, so chances are you can't read this person's mind. Um, and so we can start looking for more realistic beliefs. And I think that can be something that's very healing. I do think when we have really big wounds about certain beliefs, Yes, those wounds might be a part of us, but there are beautiful healing modalities like EMDR and the flash technique, which literally rewire people's hard drive, if you will, so that it changes the belief from the physiology. So the, the, the physicality of what's triggered by a belief, like I'm not good enough, or I always have something bad happen, or some of those really negative beliefs. Um, it, those modalities can really change that for people. So I've seen phenomenal growth where people can rewire those old scripts and debunk the false narratives. Hmm. Well, you know, I, uh, as I said earlier, working for a, a religious radio station back in the 80s and early 90s, it took me five years to release myself from the belief in the devil and hell. Now, some would say, oh, that's not possible because they're real. I said, well, now, hold on a second. Because if God, as, as uh, John 3.16 says, if God so loved that God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, et cetera, et cetera, et al., is God unconditional love? Well, I'd like to think so, which means it doesn't matter. It does not matter. And if you choose, and I'm not, I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody. This, I, this is just for me. I have to preface that, uh, mm -hmm. Stephanie, by saying this is for me. If that 
philosophy, that particular story is true, then God is an extortionist. Because he's saying, you either do this or else. That is not unconditional love. And then, of course, when you read in, in um, uh, I can't remember if it's uh, 1st or 2nd Corinthians about what love is, nowhere in that passage and description of love does it say, except when there are conditions laid. It doesn't, it doesn't say that. And so when we begin that process of trying to love ourselves in an at an appropriate level, in an appropriate way, because there are those who, <clears throat> we call them narcissists. We call them psychopaths, okay? Um, although I did an interview with someone and we talked about psychopaths, and he says, uh, don't discount psychopaths 100% here because we can learn from them. Because remember, we may not like what they're doing, but they do get things done. Now, do the ends justify the means? I don't think so, but that's just me. So I think that, that that's one of, the th that one of those uh, programs that we've had for years, mm -hmm. for decades, for centuries maybe, and that we're starting to break away from that and say, that doesn't make any sense logically. And if God made me, it also says, that we are to sit and reason together. How do you do that? What tool do you use to reason? The brain, the God-given brain, the universal given, universe-given brain, if you will, the divine-given brain, however you want to phrase it, to process these things. And what happened with me in this station was when I would ask questions, the answers made no sense to me. And I would even say, if you would like to emblazon a big old H on my forehead for heretic, I will wear it proudly because what you're telling me doesn't make sense. And I think that's why a lot of people, they say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious uh, because they're just not buying those stories. I, and I, I even used to say about the end times and all that stuff from Revelation I was only there for 15 years, but I was bored with the story. I said, is there anything I can do to help move this along so we can, we can generate a new story, please? And that's what you've done with this movie. You have, you have helped us to write a new story. And this being the program, Tell Me Your Story, um, does the new story start out once upon a time and end with, and they, lived, and they all lived happily ever after? You know, the new story is I've gathered wisdom from my past. This is what I've learned and I can and I continue to grow. I keep growing forever after, you know, there's no end point here. I think we are on this beautiful journey and that we get to, we get to fall down once in a while. I think that's really important too, that, you know, getting it, quote unquote, all figured out, you know, there's, there's never that arrival point. We're continued and we continue to be works in progress and to allow that to be a beautiful part of what being alive is. Being alive doesn't mean doing it perfect. Yeah. It means being aligned with our hearts. And I would say, you know, when, when you, you were talking about our thoughts, we know that sometimes thoughts are just thoughts. Mm -hmm. Sometimes thoughts are not the truth. 
Sometimes it is that preconditioned thinking. So we have to move to a deeper place, which is our hearts. Yeah. And they say, you know, we have a brain in our head, in our heart, and in our gut. So bringing that into alignment, really being in our bodies, behind our own eyes, and then sharing those truths with one another. I think, you know, we've had all these different movements, Richard, you know, over the last several years. And yeah. I think we're coming to a true we movement, yeah. which is more of a conscious movement where we realize we are interdependent beings. Yes. We need one another. And that's a healthy way to be. And so to me, the, the story is unending. You know, this, this is the never ending story. And you get to continue to get rid of the false narrative and rewrite the chapters and then discover what lies in wait and be excited and curious about what is this next chapter oh. going to look like? Yeah. Because now that I've gleaned this wisdom, I'm going to write something that's absolutely beautiful. Well, my sojourn to Phoenix uh, was like that. I wasn't worried about getting there. Even then this was even before I missed my flight, my first flight. Um, because every time I travel, whether it's short, like maybe I'll take a walk here in Santa Barbara, or I'll get in the truck and I'll go someplace to the store or whatever, or I'll take a train or whatever it is. I have this sense that either I'm going to have some alone time that I can ponder things that, that have happened, or I'm going to sit next to somebody or come across somebody that I'm going to meet that is going to share something with me and I with them that is, uh, that is just going to enhance the journey. Um, whereas, <laughs> um, my, my brother, apparently, if that were to happen to him, he would sit there and fuss and fume and worry and, and, and waste his energy on, on that. And, and again, we all have choices that we're here to make. And if that's the choice that, you know, he wants to make, then I say more power to him. But unfortunately, I, that's not that's not mine. And I try to share that with everybody, including my wife. She's 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 um, not quite the glass is half full kind of guy. Oh, gal. Although I, I question sometimes, Stephanie, half full or half empty. What's in the glass? What is that? You know, I've often wondered uh, and pondered and thinking, oh, maybe I'd write a little something about, okay, uh, it doesn't matter what your glass, uh, whether it's half full or half empty, what is it half full or empty of? And I'd like to think in my case and yours, happiness. Because mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of what I think that uh, the founding fathers may have had that part of it right. That, uh, you know, the pursuit of happiness and it is attainable, but again, as you were saying, it is still, it's a choice. We choose to be happy or sad or loving or angry or whatever the emotion is. Uh, talk to us about the learning, the choice to feel the way one wants to feel. Yeah, you know, I think that because my, my background is in cognitive behavioral therapy, I had such a huge pull around this little triangle that says the top of the triangle says thought. And then to the right, it says feel. And then the other side of the triangle says act. So that basically means our thoughts affect, our feelings affect how we act. And then we get this feedback from the world that continues to perpetuate that cycle. 
And so I think that just like if you're looking up at the sky, thoughts and feelings are clouds that can just come up in our sky, Hmm. you know? So again, not every single thing that comes up, do we want to continue to focus on? Mm -hmm. It's not the big T truth necessarily. And the interesting thing, Richard, you know, about our minds is that whatever we hold up, our mind experiences is happening now. Mm -hmm. And we get a physiological response. And that's why we could be worried about something in the future. It's not happening now, but we're experiencing anxiety. Same thing. If we're ruminating about something from the past, it's not happening now, but we're feeling the regret or the guilt. So I really encourage people. That's why meditation is such a big part of my life to bring themselves into the present moment. You can literally do that by just taking a few deep breaths feeling into your hands, fingers, and fingertips. And my thing is, I think that there are certain emotions that don't serve us. You know, they serve us at a primal level, like to get a little bit anxious. It might give us some energy. We know that when we first wake up, we have more cortisol. So that might boost us out of bed or it might motivate us to study harder on the test. And yet some of these emotions don't serve us. So it's not about not having emotions and saying, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm feeling sad. I don't, I don't want that emotion. Because if we do that, what we're doing is pushing that emotion down, like pushing a beach ball under the water. Mm. You know, it's not healthy for us. It's not good. What, what is better is to acknowledge what we're feeling, breathe into it, experience it just as a sensation. Quit telling the story about it. You know, if we get to in our heads, you know, anxiety, when research subjects were stimulated to have anxiety, it lit up in their brain for 90 seconds. Yeah. When it was longer than that, it's because they were telling a story about that. Oh, that reminded me of when I was afraid, blah, 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 blah. Ah. So I think it's really important that when we acknowledge that we're feeling a certain way, just to breathe into it, just to be with it. Tara Brock has a beautiful acronym called RAIN, and it's recognize allow, investigate, and then natural presence. And really what that means is we recognize what we're feeling. We actually allow it by breathing into it. Investigate means a gentle investigation into how I'm feeling. And then when we return to natural presence, what we can do is we can, I I like to think of it, Richard, like a radio station, that if what we're noticing is like, wow, I'm in a really bad mood right now. And I notice I'm thinking these thoughts. It's okay to notice it and not want to stay there. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, this makes my chest feel tight, my throat feel tight. I liken it to like screamo music on the radio station, which I am not a fan of. Mm -hmm. And and so I don't want to tune in to that frequency. If that's what I'm noticing, I can change the channel. Yes. I can turn the dial. I can take the deep breaths. I can bring myself to the present moment. And then it's like turning the radio station to something I really enjoy. So I'm going to bring myself into a place of more peace, more calm, and more centeredness right here and right now. You know, what I found so funny back, uh, way back in the 80s, but even to the present, through to the present moment, was there was this one programmer. He was a a syndicated two-hour show, five days a week. Um, and, um, he would blast people like you would not believe. And he would get callers who would blast him on the air. And I'm just sitting here going, if he upsets you so much, why don't you change the channel? I don't understand. I, what is, 
you know, you, you must be a masochist. That's the only thing I can think of is that you must enjoy feeling frustrated and angry and so forth. Because I don't. I don't like watching uh, high drama movies or television shows. I don't like watching uh, documentaries. I am. I, I. I don't care for a lot of the uh, historical documentaries, especially about human atrocities. Just I. I just don't like watching them. Um, I'm with you. What I watch and or listen to before I go to sleep at night, I will either go to Hulu, and I will watch Family Guy, which first of all I know as a cartoon it is stupid, and that's the point that it's stupid. <laughs> and for me, it's funny. But if not there, I'll go to YouTube and I'll pull up. Um, uh, some of my favorites are like watching little uh, 10 or 20 minute pieces with Jim Gaffigan, the villa ventriloquist or, uh, or not Jim Gaffigan, uh, uh, Jeff Dunham, but also Jim Gaffigan, Jeff the comedian. Dunham. Yeah, Jeff Dunham. Or as uh, as uh, Peanut the Woozle would say, Jeff Dunham. I mean, it is. I, I love the laughing. And sometimes we're watching the TV. My wife is watching a program and I'm listening in my earbud to whatever it is. And I want to laugh out loud, but I have to keep it to myself. Otherwise, I have to explain to her what it is I'm laughing about. And having to explain it kind of ruins it a little bit. You know what I mean? But she recognizes that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be watching videos that make me laugh. Uh, or even instructional stuff. I've seen some really cool construction techniques that uh, I'm thinking, boy, that would be kind of neat. I know there's a project around here that I could do and incorporate that one. Um, I have a book myself. It's not published yet called Choices, Seven Steps to Life. And one of those is uh, to <clears throat> uh, the first choice. The first step of the five is to make a choice. But then the next several are, and the one in particular is, um, match your personal input to your choice. Now, I want to be happy. So, my personal input, first of all, interviews such as this. Family Guy, The Simpsons, American Dad, Warner Brothers cartoons with Bugs Bunny, um, uh, Bull, Rocky and Bullwinkle, some of these others. Um, and, and so forth and so on. And the comedians, you know, uh, Stephen Wright is just, uh, I still love, I love this one. Stephanie, what's another word for thesaurus? <laughs> um, I just, I, I just, that's what I like to listen to or, or what have you before I go to sleep. It, it sort of cleanses my palate, mental palate. Uh, what do you Love do? It. What do you do? What what lifts you up? What energizes you? And I wish I'd had a chance to ask my father this question, but I'm waiting for some time to go by to ask my mother. What gets you out of bed every morning? Mm. You know, it's interesting you said that. And the very, very first thing that came to me, honestly, was love. Um, I feel... Like I am one of the most blessed people in the world. Uh, um, I have an amazing fiance and partner and we have two gorgeous dogs. Um, and I like you, I love my job. I love what I do. I have, 
you know, so many different facets, you like working on the new Becoming Fear series, writing and doing, you know, my private practice. Um, and honestly, and I have such an amazing family. I've got two gorgeous daughters and two grandsons and two son-in-laws. I just, I feel that every day is truly a gift. And when I get up in the morning, one of the first things I do is go outside and I literally put my feet on the ground and look up at the sky and whether it's snowy here in Colorado or a beautiful sunny morning like this morning and just breathe in the sky and listen to the birds um, just to have that moment of being grounded and being in gratitude mm. for it all. Yeah. That is one of the things that that absolutely lights me up. Um, I'm such a people person, so I feel really blessed and fortunate I get, you know, to have experiences like this with you and, you know, that, that's what brings me joy. And so, yeah, I, I feel like, um, being able to share love, to be loved, to exude love. Those are the things that, that I want to do. And through all my mediums, um, that's what I want to help people to do is find that within themselves, you know, and that's why the spark actually actually came to me in the middle of the night. It was in a dream and, you know, igniting your best life. That also, that was that same dream saying, that's what I want to help do because that's what gives my life meaning. Well, first of all, I can tell you that all those people that you have listed are very lucky, very fortunate to have you in their lives. Uh, and, uh, as, as am I, because, uh, you are in my life now in, in, in this context as well. And I hope that we get a chance to continue this, but I have one final question in the context of the interview that I want to ask you. And, and that's in reference to our intuition, that still small voice we promote on this program have been since, since September of 2019, uh, started out promoting the year of perfect vision, 2020. Then the decade of perfect vision, mm -hmm. the 2020s, where we encourage people to go within where they will get perfect vision for their lives by listening to that still small voice. What role does that inner life and that voice play in your life? That is the biggest factor in my life, I would have to say. It is the defining factor um, I definitely make time in my life daily. And I guess I should have said the very first thing I do before I get out of bed is I, I have one hand on my chest, one on my stomach, and I'm literally just surrendering to that, to whether it's the universe or the divine and listening to that still small voice that guides my day and has literally brought me all of this, <laughs> you know, every single element of this, even in writing my book, Becoming Fierce, I just showed up at the keyboard and I feel like that still small voice is what spoke through me. I just had to show up. The book wrote itself. Yeah. So, you know, I, I feel like Richard, that that's the essential part of the essential path for each one of us, because we all do have that still small voice and it whispers to us and it speaks to us in dreams and we just have to tune in. That's the key right there. Tuning in. I used to say seriously, but now jokingly, if you are going to go within and listen to that still small voice, but not follow the promptings, then why bother listening? You know, yeah. I've often said, too, that uh, the still small voice will never, ever put you in harm's way. It might challenge you. 
I've had those experiences where it's challenged me. No, 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 no. That's against the plan that I have created intellectually. What the? And then, of course, it just persists and persists. Now, it's always still my choice. But I finally, I finally acquiesced. All right. Okay. I will follow through with this. And then I look back a couple of three days later and go, boy, if I hadn't done this, uh, things would be a lot worse. So that, that to me, is uh, key to, to that. We're talking with Stephanie James, uh, stephaniejames.world, stephaniejames.world, and we are going to be linked to that website as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, Stephanie, I want to thank you for giving us so much time here on the program. This has just been fantastic. Uh, I do have three final questions that I ask all of my guests. But again, thank you for being with us here, and uh, I hope that we can have you back uh, for the next book that you will be putting out and uh, uh, more thoughts on making this a better place. Thank you. Before I do ask those questions, though, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and we are on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. That's a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We're streaming live at those times at uh, richarddugan.com. And uh, we podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we're on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. I hope that you'll subscribe. It's not a critical thing. You don't have to subscribe, but I would encourage you to. And then also click notification so that every time I put up a new interview uh, that uh, you will know that and you'll be able to listen to the latest conversation here on Tell Me Your Story. We also ask that if you can support us and financially, if you can support us financially, we would greatly appreciate that. We have a PayPal account. It's for your security as well as ours. And as I mentioned earlier, please Take that time to go within and listen to that still small voice during this, the decade of perfect vision. And with all of that being said, the first of my three questions is, who is Stephanie James? Who is Stephanie James? Well, Stephanie James is, I would say, that spark. Because I, even though I'm in a grown-up body, I am still that that little girl who is full of love and wonder and gets excited about the stars in the sky and holding my puppies and just still believes in, in magic and the wonder of life. Mm. So that's who Stephanie James is. What is your life's purpose? As I said, I truly believe it's to bring as much love and healing to the world as possible through every medium that comes through me. And finally, what was your best day? Wow. That's wow. My best day. Gosh, that's a great question. I've, I've had so many. Um, I would say, honestly, one of my best days, there's, there's been so, so many, but, um, you know, we just we've been talking about the film, so I guess it it reminds me of of the first day of filming, where I was doing something I could have never imagined. I was there with 
you know, this four person, you know, award winning film crew and personal assistants and sitting there interviewing people that I had some become dear, dear friends with and loved and looked up to. And we were creating something where there was just magic in the air. And so I felt like I was probably floating about three feet above. And later that evening when we had a dinner party, I had my family come and one of my dear friends, Steve Ertle, who wrote the original score for the film, came and performed for us. And so, you know, I'm, I'm dancing and eating and singing and having such a wonderful time with my friends, family, and these wonderful people who helped make When Sparks Ignite such a meaningful, deep and purposeful film. So I would say that's the day. Well, we thank you for spending this time in this day with us, and uh, we look forward to having you back again. Thank you, Richard, so much. Such a joy to be here with you. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, Stephanie, this uh, has gotten longer as uh, life has happened. Love to lol. Jeanette, I am still listening. And Dad, be happy.